Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So the question of the morning, how well do you know your neighbors? Do you know them? in like the people who live across the street, the people down the block, how well do you know your neighbors? Do you know their first names? Are you on a first, first name basis? I mean, we're, most of us are in relative suburbs, which we give the suburb wave as we drive by, but how many of you know their last names? Do you know their kids? Do you know what they do for a living, what their favorite food is? Do you know who's next to you? you? know who's down the block? Do you know even, let's even think about this, a couple of blocks away, do you know your neighbors? If you don't, you fit in perfectly well with America because Ben Renner did a uh, study and found out that two out of three, and this is millennials born 81 to 96, millennials now, millennials, this is the next up-and-coming generation, feel completely disconnected from their community. Two out of three say they know nobody. Two out of three. According to Pew Research, 31% of Americans say that they know all or most of their neighbors. So that means that there's a large percentage, 31%, versus the huge percentage over here. And the actual factual of this just blows me away. 40% of rural Americans say that they know some of their neighbors. 24% of urban say they know some of their neighbors, which puts you right in the middle. So let's just put all these statistics together, because I'm a baseball and facts nerd, put all of these statistics together. 50% of you in here don't know your neighbors, at least, if not more. And by knowing neighbors, it's knowing neighbors. It's not the suburban wave. It's not our, we go into our little communities. We go into the parking, into our park. We give a nod to the guy across the street. And we never know them. Do you know your neighbors? And why don't we? What happened to the American lifestyle? This is not something that's been going on for that long. We used to know neighbors. We used to hang out with neighbors. We used to, back in the day, care for, have parties together, and actually celebrate in neighborhoods. Remember neighborhood parties? Block parties? Neighborhoods would get together, and they would block off streets and have parties and have fun to get to know each other. What happened? Well, life changed. In a lot of ways, suburbs have pushed that. The suburbs has pushed us away from close community into bigger lots. Bigger lots have pushed us further away from each other. As further we've got away from each other, the last we start to see that these people who live around me, they just kind of live around me. So what's changed? What is happening? Because in, we've been exploring this whole idea of everyday disciple. An everyday disciple is being a disciple in the everyday stuff of life, and we've been exploring this now for a couple of weeks. Have you ever thought you're supposed to actually love and disciple your neighbor? Oftentimes we think of discipleship in terms of Bible studies, going to church, or if you're really hardcore, you go to Africa and work in tribes, right? Some sort of missionary, we're way over there, not part of my life. But actually, discipleship is supposed to happen in the everyday stuff of life, and you literally have people living around you who need help every day. But we don't know they need help because we live in our quiet little worlds. We live in our cocoons. We don't want anyone to be real, right? We don't actually be real with each other and say, I'm hurting and I need help. So we live in our cocoons. 
And then you find out too late that there was a problem. You find out too late when that person passes away that they were struggling. You find out too late that somebody who lived several hundred feet, maybe yards away from you, needed you, but you never knew because you didn't know them. Now, if that doesn't spark you a little bit to say, I should get to know my neighbors, just wait because this sermon's going to get really spicy today. Let's start together with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, this is such a huge command. Lord, you have called us to love others. And Lord, in our culture, in our society, oftentimes now we're just so insular and we just kind of keep to ourselves. But God, you've called us to love. And so, Lord, as we speak today through your word and through your message, Lord, we ask something huge would happen today. Open our hearts, open our eyes to maybe that one person, at least one, that we live so close to who needs to know love, who needs to know you, Jesus. Pray in your great name. Amen. So we have a purpose in life. As a disciple of Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a purpose in life, which is to make more disciples. This is not a pyramid scheme. This is a purpose of life. So when you get to know the Lord God and you know Jesus is Savior, not religious go-to-church Jesus, but like God is all in my life through everything, and I'm trying to work through every aspect of my life to live, love, and follow him. Everything, everything's on the table for me to process. When you live as a disciple, you now have a purpose to bring that love and hope into the world. We've discussed that for the last few weeks, and if you haven't heard, please catch up on podcasts or through our video, because this series is building on each other. We talked about last week how through work, I disciple through how I work, and now just by living by people, God has given you a call to make disciples. And making disciples means you have to know people's lives. You can't disciple from across the street. Discipleship is not, hey, John, hey, Bob, grass looks good, thank you. Who do you use? I use Scott's. Okay, see you later. That's not discipleship. Coveting your neighbor's lawn is not discipleship because I got some neighbors got some sick lawns and mine's garbage, but that's a side note. Discipleship means you've got to be in the life with each other and know each other. It means taking the chance. Now, every introvert in here right now is saying, cool story, I hate everything you're saying. I don't like people. I totally understand it. It doesn't matter. Jesus commanded it. So, an introvert, if you're more introverted to yourself, I want you to listen through this lens of our message as we dig in today. If you're introverted, God may be calling you to one. If you are the life of the party, God may be calling you to the block party. But one is just as valuable as the block party. And however God made you, and that's important to understand as a disciple, because oftentimes we put ourselves in a box that says to be a disciple maker or to be, I have got to be the guy on the stage in a red flannel shirt who talks a lot with big crazy hair. We think that we've got to put ourselves and fit a mold, but that's not true. God has called you to disciple how he has made you. You're not made by mistake, friends. And as God has made you, you are now on mission in a unique location because I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't go to your job. I don't have your friends. I'm not in your family unless you're my family here today. Like, there, you have a unique calling that is a perfect place for people who are hurting and are so hungry to know Jesus Christ. But we've stopped talking about our faith. 
We stop talking about the greatness of God in circles. For some reason, as we've started to become more closed into ourselves in our, in our everyday life, we've also stopped talking about these things. And it's understandable. There's a little bit of tension in our, in our country right now, you know. Politics, religion, those are things you don't talk about at parties. You don't talk about anything about COVID or masks or mandates or shots. We don't talk about these things. We just sit back. And we become more and more closed into what I believe is good for me and what you believe is good for you. But friends, we're going to be challenged today by the Word of God because the Word of God pushes us. Because this isn't religion we're talking about. This is about life with Jesus Christ and eternal life. And if I love my friends, and if I love my neighbors, and if I love you, love does hard things which means I have to be willing to go out of my comfort zone when I don't want to, to be willing to put myself in a place to disciple others. And that's where we're going to dig into our scriptures today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. You want to get there in your Bibles. We have Bible apps. If you have a Bible app, iPads, whatever you want to use, also will be on the screen behind me. Mark 12, 28 to 34. We get into this passage. Religious leaders had come up to Jesus and as they come up to Jesus, there's all these conversations that are happening. They're asking him all these questions because they're testing Jesus as a rabbi or a teacher. And they're asking questions. And in the Jewish culture, they don't just ask questions. They ask questions for you to actually ask a question that is a greater understanding of what the question was asked. So a question could be, um, what is water? And the, and the rabbi could say, well, it's wet. That's not going to be what a rabbi would say. A rabbi would say, a better question is, what happens when you take hydrogen and, and oxygen together and it creates a substance? He's showing a greater understanding of the question that was asked. And so when they're asking Jesus all these questions, they've been pounding him, and then they came up to where we are in Mark chapter 12, 28 to 34. It says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, what we just talked about, Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, what is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there should be no other one other but him. Side note. That guy's got some guts to say that to God. You ever think about that? Well said, teacher. I'd be like, whoa, okay, but he didn't know he's God. We can move on. <laughs> to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offer offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. That was a Jesus mic drop at that point, right? <laughs> So this, these guys come to him, they say, okay, I've got a question for you. Uh, of all commandments, what's the big one? Now, what you may not know about these commandments, a Hebrew word called mitzvot. Mitzvot is a Hebrew word for all of the commandments which are placed within the first five books of the Bible, and for their tongue, or in Jewish Hebrew words, would be Torah. So the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they would study this over and over again. This is what they would use for teaching and learning inside of their 613 commands. 613 commands. 
So they come up to Jesus and say, there's 613 commandments, you tell us what's number one. Now the Jewish rabbis, some would rank order the different commandments. These are heavier and these are lighter. And so they're taking all these together and who knows, there could have been a debate going on at this time saying which one's the greatest one, but whatever, they bring this to Jesus and say, okay, smart teacher, 613, tell us what's number one. Inside of the 613, there are negative commandments or things which you are not to do. Do not do this. 365, and 365 uh, coincides with the number of days in a solar year. So 365, you could do one a day once a year, and you, wouldn't, and you could keep going every year and only do one a day. Do not do these things. Of the, those, there's 248, which are positive. These are the ones that do do things. And what was really cool about this is they ascribe the number to the number of bones and main organs inside of the human body. So for the Jewish people, everything is about seeing things in a world that's understandable and bringing it with some sort of symbol. And so you've got 613, you've got 365 negative, or do not do's, 248, these are positive do-do's. I want to know which one's the best one. Jesus doesn't even blink, and he starts into discussing what he knows. But the difference here, as he's teaching, isn't about knowledge, because the knowledge of the 613 within that group would have been known by all the rabbis as they're teaching. The crowd would have grown up learning all 100, 613 of these, 365, 248, 613. They knew them, they understood them, they lived them, they practiced them, and they all just lean in and they say, which one? Because it wasn't about knowing, it was about doing. In our culture, in our Christian culture especially, we value knowledge. We want to know that the guy talking on a stage has great knowledge. If you're in a study with somebody, you want to make sure that person knows what they're talking about. And knowledge in our culture equals spirituality. So the more that we know, the more spiritual we feel. And if I don't know enough, I don't feel spiritual. So a very simple example is this. I've had many conversations with many, many people. And usually the conversation moves to, but I don't know as much as you. It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters how much you do. And the conversation, which is always interesting, leads to this. I don't know as much as you, and I just say I paid more money to know stuff than you. That's all. I went to school. You can go to the same school, learn the same thing. It's just knowledge. Knowledge without actions is not even in the Hebrew conversation. Knowledge meant action. In our culture, knowledge equals knowledge. So you can understand why a lot of times we, as Americans, don't look at scriptures the same way. We can look at scriptures and we can say, I see something here and I heard a good sermon, nice speech, pastor, I appreciate it, and I go on my way, we don't think about it. The Jewish people would listen and they would do because actions proved knowledge. For us, knowledge proves knowledge. So you understand why, just understanding into the Jewish culture what is going on here. So we move into, back into, the, uh, into Mark. Religious leaders ask this question, and then Jesus doesn't answer the question with, I don't know, love God and love others, and just kind of lean forward, which he could have done. He actually quotes Shema. And Shema, if you've never heard of that before, in the mitzvah, right, all these, right, you should be writing these down and tweeting this. You're going to be super good at Jewish words today. So 
The Shema was the reciting of what Jesus recited, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. In tradition, excuse me, they would hold their pinky up and they would recite in the morning and in the evening. They would recite the Shema. And Shema every day recited morning and evening to remember their God. And this is what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Have you ever done that? Have you ever recited a a passage every day, morning and night? Have you ever thought about God's commands so intensely? Have you ever thought, God, I'm just processing today the truth of this in the morning and I do it again at night? This was recited. Now, ritualistically, of course, whenever you do something ritualistically, it can mean nothing. But at the same time, knowledge meant action. And so they would do this to remind themselves that the Lord God Almighty is one. There is nobody like him. And our job is to impress them on their children, not your local church. I'm just going to say this again as a former youth pastor. Our job is to support parents in teaching about God. It is the parent's job, according to Deuteronomy, to teach your children about the God, Yahweh, and the Lord, and to teach them everything about Scripture. The local church is here to support. But again, because of knowledge-based, we as an American church have moved towards, I'm going to bring my kids to church and put them over here so they can learn about God, and then I'm not going to show them what that looks like throughout the week. And so then we have a generations that are growing up confused, knowing about God, but never seeing the actions of God. So parents, our job is to love the Lord God with all our, soul, our strength and everything that we are, and to impress in our children by showing them what it means to follow God while teaching them what it means to follow God, both at the same time. The local church is here to help you do that. And I'm so proud and excited of our kids and our youth ministry because they believe that. They fully believe they're going to teach your children things and they're going to come home and your kids are going to be talking about stuff. And if you don't know a lot about God, remember, it's not about knowledge. You learn to do. And when your kid comes home, like, did you know? And they tell you something. That's awesome because they are impressing the word of God out. And that's what our kids and our youth ministry's purpose is to make disciples of our next generation that spread the word of God to next generation. And so parents, I'm being a little heavy, but I've been a, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And I would say, here, teach my kid about God. I'm like, here, you teach them, and I'm going to teach them this part and support your parenting. It is so important that we as a church get this right. Mosaic is focused on that. We want to teach, but we want to support you in your raising. That's a, that was an aside. I just went on a rant. Let me get back to my sermon. So the Shema. So they would go and read the Shema. And I'm going to have the Shema up on the screen. Do we have that slide up there? The Shema. And I want you to read this with me. Okay, let's read it together. You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall speak of them when you are sitting at home. And when you go on a journey, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, 
and they shall be jewels between your eyes. You shall inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Every day, twice a day, they'd say this. Every day, they'd recite this over and over. They would remember that the Lord God is one, and they took that verse, and they put the Shema together, and they would tighten it down into this, and they'd repeat it day after day after day after day. For what purpose? Action. That there would be a movement, that they would actually do these things. You shall teach them. You shall. It's a command. This isn't a you should, you shall. You should gives you an option. You shall gives you no option. If you say to your children, you shall cut the grass, the grass shall be cut. (laughs) You should cut the grass, they'll say, yeah, I should. There was no leniency in this, but our culture creates leniency, and that leniency creates a relationship with God that is soft. I should serve God. I should make disciples. I should love my neighbor. I should. It's not I should, it's I shall. I shall create strength. I shall gives purpose. I shall is the action in which you have knowledge of actually doing. I shall. So I shall is in the the Shema. Now we go back to the passage with Jesus He's asked about the greatest commandments. He recites part of the Shema, which everybody in there would have been like, oh, this again? We already know this. We do this all the time, morning, night, and he's reciting it. But then he adds a piece. Remember, the Jewish teachers would teach in a way which not only knowledge of what's happening, but adding to it, knowing that the knowledge of what you're asking, I'm going to show you even more. And so Jesus takes this very well-known to everybody in the crowd, and then he adds and turns it up one notch. Back to Mark 12, 29 to 31. The most important one, answered Jesus. Remember, 613. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not in there. There is no commandment greater than these. So that would have been a little bit of, uh, what is this guy talking about? Because when you look at the Shema and what's being said, everything's about the knowledge of God, hearing about God, teaching God, the action of actually doing it, the I shalls. And now Jesus says, I'm going to add a little bit more to you. I'm going to add this little nugget here because this is actually what the heart of this passage is about. You need to love God, you are correct. And you need to love your neighbors yourself. Simple concept. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple idea. Care about other people. Because God is a God of caring about people. And so if you love God, you must and you shall love others. There is no shoulds. You shall. If you love God, you say, you love God, crowd. Everyone's sitting around, and he says, you know this. I'm going to recite it to you. You shall love others. And then the teacher there recites back to him, like, what you say is correct, teacher. You're like, yeah, of course, he's Jesus, right? So what you say is correct. 
And he agrees that the, what he is saying with God. And Jesus says this, which is so awesome. You're so close to the kingdom of heaven. The words, the kingdom of heaven, if you're new to Bible reading, is the way of God for us. So as it is in God's kingdom, he, Jesus shows us what things are like. So at the end of Revelation, when everything comes through and Jesus is now king and he reigns over everything and sin is abolished and the end is, is here, Jesus is king. At that time, when Jesus is king, will be the kingdom of God. And he's saying, you can have it here on earth. I'm going to show you what it looks like. In the kingdom, we do this. In the kingdom, it looks like that. So he's teaching always about what things are like in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man, which we obviously know is a huge contrast to each other. So in the kingdom, he says, you're so close. What he was missing still was that Jesus was his savior. He didn't know that yet. You're so close. You're understanding this, but you've got to know me as savior. He wasn't there yet. He was still learning, right? So this teacher, I'd love to know, like, Jesus, is this guy in heaven? Can I ask him? Like, this guy, like, who said you're, like, good teaching, is he here with us? You know, I want to, would he point him out to me? Like, yeah, he's over there. Like, cool. Hey, nice to meet you. I read your words at church one day, right? Like, but you shall. So Jesus now takes this idea to know God means to love God. To love God means to love others. Knowledge equals action. Action creates more action. The knowledge of God is not enough. Memorizing your Bible is not enough. Memorizing scriptures and being able to quote things is not enough. Coming to church is not enough. It is an all-inclusive, all-of-life shall moment. The more that you learn, the harder Christianity gets. One of the biggest misconceptions, and maybe you're on this journey, I don't know, biggest misconceptions when it comes to faith walk is that Christians are weak, that, that Christians in a lot of ways are pushovers, are soft, are not really going through a lot. And I would say this, for me, in my experience, Christians who do the I shoulds are weak. The Christians who do, who do the I shalls have battled through life like I've never seen before because the more they know about God, the more you have to do. The more you have to do, you realize how far you are away from God. The more you say, God, I want to become more like you, you have a step forward in your faith journey. As soon as you have a step forward in your faith journey, oh, there's another step. Oh, there's another step. Oh, there's another step. Because the more that we learn and engage should be transforming us from the inside out. So Christianity is not soft. In fact, I would argue the more that you actually start to try to do what Jesus says, you realize it's too hard. But we treat our faith walks oftentimes like we do fad diets. We get excited. I'm not going to eat any proteins, only carbs for the rest of my life, right? That's, I'm sure there's some new diet with that. And you start in this diet and you lose 10 pounds. Like, look, I look so great. I lost 10 pounds. It's so awesome. And I'm taking, drinking my shakes and doing all this stuff. And then it gets monotonous and boring and you quit. There's a reason. The fad diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry based on the fact knowing that you're going to keep quitting and starting. But the truth is, is that when we treat our faith walk with the I shoulds, we do the same thing. I should care about my neighbors. And so you're going to be fired up and like, I'm going to get to know my neighbors, and I'm going over here, and they're coming over. For, I'm going to make them cookies, and we're going to hang out, and you do it, and then you get to know that neighbor, and you're like, ah, I should know more of my neighbors. I should, but I'm busy. I should, or I shall. 
That is the teachings of Jesus. Christianity, when we live the way Jesus is teaching in the kingdom of God, is extremely intense and awesome. If you believe your faith walk or Christianity is boring, that you're not following Jesus. If you believe Christianity is boring, you're, not, you're a should person, not a shall. Because a should person is going to see, eh, this, you know, the guy talks, we sing some songs, I go home, I don't care. Should. Oh my word, I heard something today. I need to be on mission. Every Sunday there's a new mission. Like, Jason, can you slow down? Because every Sunday you're pushing me in my job. Now I've got to be my neighbors. And you keep pushing, pushing, pushing because I want to teach you the shalls. If you can catch fire of shall, you change the lives of everyone around you. When you can take this idea that Jesus is teaching us this one simple concept, it's not a big passage today, but look at how hard it is. It doesn't have to be an entire book. Sometimes just a verse is hard. This is a hard verse. Love everybody like you love God and yourself. Someone has asked one time, what if I don't love myself? What if I, I don't, I, I feel terrible about myself, low self-esteem, I don't feel good, I don't like myself. First of all, I think we go backwards a step for you, friends. Go backwards a step to know that, first of all, God loves you. And when you love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, when you shall love that Lord that close in that intimacy, I promise you, self-esteem starts to change. When you come to know the Father loves you so intensely and you can stop putting all the pressures of the world on you, but instead look at what God says about you, whether it's your body image, whether it's your job, whether it's what you feel as failures, God just loves you. He just does. It's not uncircumstantial. He just loves you. So if you feel that you, I don't even love myself, friends, don't carry that burden alone. Walk with people through this. Because I'm the first one to tell you, I, if you believe that about yourself, I see something different. Because I see God's beautiful person created for a, such a time as this to be on mission to change the world. That's what I see each of you as. Not, not just myself and not just Nick, who is our associate pastor if you don't know him, especially not Nick, but I believe it. I believe that's why we do what we do, that you are called, you have a purpose. And so now we go back into this very simple thing. Do you love your neighbors? Your circle of influence was created, it's for you. Your circle of influence, you are placed in a place. If you're a high school student, think of all your friends. Think of your lunch table. Think of your classes. Think of all the people around you you come in contact every day. If you work, think about, well, if you work from home, it's probably your dog and your, your wife or husband, whatever. But if you're at work, all the people who are around you, you walk into the same coffee shop every time, all those workers every single time. Think about your circle of influence that you have. And let me just share with you something that hopefully encourages you today for the I shalls. I shall. You have a circle of influence, and it's not to bring them to me to give them answers about the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in their circle. You can do it. But we say, I don't know enough. Oh, here we go again. We're back into this whole thing, right? Every single time I say, you can, you can influence the world. They, I don't know enough. 
we are not talking about knowledge. We're talking about action. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, a simple step, I know the Lord, you can tell somebody about that. If you want to know a lot more, feel free. Go to seminary. It's awesome. You'll learn a ton. You'll pay a lot of money. Enjoy it. But most of you are not going to. But you know more than somebody who knows nothing. You just heard the sermon. You already know more. So here it is. If you knew nothing before you walked in here today, you need to love your neighbors. There you go. Now go do it. It's that simple. You don't have to have all the answers. And the fear is, well, what if they ask me a hard question like, well, where did sin come from? And like, was there real, why did Adam and Eve have all these babies and their incest? And all these weird questions we start moving all over the place. And you know what I say to those questions nine times out of ten? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Why are you going on rabbit trails? I'm here to love my neighbor. If you know something, you can be on mission. I shall. I want to share this with you. There was uh, an example of this. Christianity Today, if you read that uh, magazine at all, had an article. It was called, This is Our City. Because hearing something and learning something, what if we actually did something? Listen to this story. They were sharing these stories about This is Our City. People were relocating and moving into neighborhoods for the purpose of loving neighborhoods. There's a woman named Kim, uh, Kim Daughtry who felt God calling her, and she moved into a trailer park. So she moves in this trailer park, and she had a simple mission. Her job was to become a good neighbor at her park, just be an amazing neighbor in this trailer park. So she moves everything. She gives up everything. She moves in this trailer park and just starts loving her neighbors. What did that look like? There's a single father that had Parkinson's. At first, she's like, okay, this guy's got Parkinson's. I need to help him get in and out of his house. And so she offered to help get him out of the house, and she organized to help him get a ramp built. But she realized he needs more help. He needed help getting child support. But he also needed to take responsibilities for his actions. He also needed other things that people weren't talking about. And then she got to know him and find out that he had some deep needs that he never shared. It started with an outside thing, became a friend, and then realized he needs help being a single father. So she now starts to help and jump in as this man with Parkinson's is struggling in a new way to come alongside and love and care for him. She gave up everything to disciple that, that man. Everything. Everything. Would you sell your house right now, move to a trailer park, and would you be willing to just go into a community and love. I wouldn't. That's a big, bold step. But maybe our call today isn't to move yet. Maybe our call today is love where you live. You've seen it on our T-shirts. You've seen it plastered everywhere. It's on our website. Julie, when she did the announcement, she's got the shirt on. Hashtag love where you live. This is not some silly little slogan we did so we make cool t-shirts, and it was a good thing for our community. If you're in the Slinger community, you'll see we sponsor things that say, love where you live. Uh, our building, our entire building, if you did not know this, our entire building, we give to people, anybody who wants it, rent-free. People have asked, like, can we rent space in our building? Like, no, 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 no. This is for our community. It's free. People don't understand, like, well, how do you pay for heat? I'm like, I don't know. We'll take another offering. We don't care. We want to love where we live. We want to give our heart and our soul into our communities. But it isn't about slinger. Love where you live is about you where you live. 
You love where you live. As a church community, we are pouring our heart and resources into Slinger and Washington County. And we are doing this because we want to be awesome neighbors. I took this verse literally and started a church. That's how much I believe in this. Because in my opinion, the American church is not a good neighbor. In my opinion, now you can push back, but you can't now because I'm on the stage. Uh, In my opinion... The American church has done a great job of taking care of itself. We have flipped the script and we've turned the doors out where we gather to scatter. We come together to to worship and to praise God and have a great time for the purpose of influencing, impacting, and loving a broken community. That's why we exist. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. Why would I keep it inside of this building when we can give it out there in the baseball field, across at the high school, in the communities that you live in uniquely? Hartford, Germantown, Menominee Falls, West Bend, wherever you're coming from, Milwaukee. Think about how we can take our lights and spread them out everywhere and love where we live. That's why we have that slogan. Because that encapsulates the entire idea of why Mosaic exists. Bringing love into our communities. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Go love your neighbor. Hashtag love where you live. Now you know. But the whole purpose is to remind you like the Shema. Like the Shema that was recited over and over again, love where you live is a continual reminder that you are on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ to love and make more disciples. So now you have no excuse. You shall. You shall love where you live. You shall influence your neighbors and neighborhood and where you work. You shall be a light in a dark place. You shall follow what Jesus just said. 613 different commands. He brings it down into two. Love God, love others. So simple when you think about it. So who is it in your life? Who? Do you have One, let's just start with one. What one neighbor can you get to know? What one person can you love well? What one person can you influence? What is a I shall starting today? If you walk out and say that was a good speech, that's an I should. The challenge is I shall. I shall. In my neighborhood, we had a neighbor next to us, and we knew her. Well, we knew her well. Um, wonderful lady. Um, so sweet, so kind. She'd be outside. She'd come over, you know, and we'd talk and have a, a little bit older uh, lady and loved my kids. She had cats. She lost her cat. We helped find her cat, and then we couldn't find her, and I felt bad. But, and I don't like cats, so that's a whole other story. But she was a lovely lady. And, and my kids would go and, and play with the cats. She would come outside smiling all the time. Wonderful lady. We'd help... Dude, we'd help get the snow off for her. We, we just, I wanted to be a great neighbor, the best I could, right? I mean, you can only know so much about somebody, so we're building this relationship over a couple of years. And then we got the news. She committed suicide. She committed suicide. She had been in so much pain for so long, and I never knew it. And the first thing I thought when I found out this news, my heart was broken, and I thought, how could I have been a better neighbor? Here, someone who lives 100 feet away from my home 
was so broken and desperate that had no hope for life. I couldn't tell. You wouldn't see it when you saw her, right? That happens with a lot of times. She had the smile, and she was such a lovely lady, and she seemed full of life, and she was goofy. But I never took the step to get to that place where I actually knew how she was doing. We, we had a very good relationship, but had I known her more, could I have been there for her? Could I have been a voice? To this day, it haunts me. Not that I did something, I won't have guilt and shame like that, but it haunts me to think, did I love my neighbor well? Friends, you have that neighbor in your neighborhood. You have that person. What if you can do something today? What if you love that person who needs to be loved, encouraged, challenged? The lady who gives up everything, finds a, a gentleman who needs help, she finds out that he needs actually more than the simple things. What if you were that light in someone's life? How would that change your community? How would that change the world? That's why I believe in this so much. We are called to be on mission. Don't come here, friends, and have a great Sunday and not take the light into the world. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, we talked about it last week, that the light is meant to be put up for everyone to see. Our world is desperate and hungry to have light, and you are it. What would it look like today? One neighbor you love well. You should or you shall. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.